0: Well, if you have a Bible, you can uh, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 13. We've been in Matthew 13 for a few weeks now. And we've been making our way through uh, some parables that might seem a bit disconnected or disjointed, but but they are all connected. And so we're going to be today in verse 31, 32, and 33. And uh, starting in verse 31, it says this. It says that, "...He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So if you're like me, you read that and you think, okay, what's going on here? What's what's Jesus trying to say? And and so to give a little bit of context, um, Matthew chapter 13 started out with the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower talks about how the word goes out. Uh, in, in, uh, by comparison of seed, and the seed falls on different types of ground uh, that have different types of receptivity to the seed or to the word. And we learn in that that of the different types of uh, ground that the seed falls on, uh, of the four that Jesus lists in the parable, there's only one type of ground that's receptive uh, to the word and three types of ground uh, that are not. And then we get into the parable of the weeds, and the parable parable of the weeds reminds us that we have an enemy that's at work, right? We we have um, God doing what He does, but there's opposition uh, from the enemy and from the world. But in the end, the parable of the weeds tells us that God will sort it out, right? Um, nothing's going to uh, thwart the plan of God, and He'll sort things out in the end. And then we're told that the purpose of the parables in the, in the middle of all of this. Uh, is that some people will know and understand what Jesus is trying to say. Uh, They'll receive uh, the message. They'll receive the Word. And other people, uh, it's for them not to know. And we we see God's sovereignty in uh, salvation in that. But what we can take from that is that there's a window that's closing on the world in terms of hearing the Word of God and responding to the Word of God. Uh, John Piper famously quotes that worship or missions exists in the world because worship does not in in other words because there are people in the world that don't worship God for who he is then then we as the church have a mission and there's an end to that mission it's going to expire at some point right When, when we all enter into eternity the mission will be no more right the window of opportunity to hear and respond affirmatively to the word of God will be closed at that point hebrews chapter 1 the first four verses tells us that long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world he's the radiance of the glory of god the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us that there was a period of time where where God spoke to us through prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. The prophets would come and generally the people would reject the message of the prophets. Being an Old Testament prophet, that, that was a tough gig. Um, they weren't liked, right? Their their job was to go around and, and essentially deliver the news that people have fallen away from God, and that they need to come back to God. And that's not a popular message. It's not a popular message today. And, and so long ago, God spoke to us through prophet after prophet after prophet until such time as He sent His Son, the Prophet of Prophets, to speak to us in these last days. We're told by the writer of Hebrews. there's a window that's closing, that there's going to come a time, the the day that the Bible talks about when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, that the mission is over at that point. The opportunity to receive the message of the Gospel is over at that point. And so Jesus came, and and Jesus Jesus talked about a lot of things when He was here on earth. We, We have recorded in the Gospels Uh, a lot of things that Jesus talked about. But the primary message that Jesus had during His time on earth was to repent for the kingdom of God is near. wasn't a popular message with prophet after prophet after prophet. Not necessarily a popular message coming from Jesus Himself. When, When we think about, we've talked about this before, what is it that makes Christianity different than all the other religions or belief systems out there one of the things that makes christianity different is that jesus proclaimed a kingdom buddha to my knowledge didn't proclaim a kingdom buddha proclaimed that you should just love everyone and we should right but but buddha didn't proclaim that he had a kingdom that was coming hinduism I, they don't proclaim a kingdom hinduism proclaims that that you can be reincarnated and you just it's an endless groundhog day where you just get to over and over and over again try to get it right a never ending cycle Islam doesn't proclaim a kingdom Islam proclaims peace but to my knowledge I don't think Islam proclaims a kingdom Mormonism doesn't proclaim the same kingdom that Jesus proclaims, Mormonism proclaims that if you work hard enough that maybe you could be a god yourself. But it, but it requires work and effort to get there on your part. The Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't, I don't think they proclaim a kingdom. They, they proclaim that the good will go to heaven, but the bad will become extinct. That's, that's kind of a bummer. Again, it require all, all of these... All of these religions, and I could go on and on, there's a long list, but but all of these religions are peddling some version of a message that says, here's how you try harder to be better. And that's a miserable existence because at the end of the day, we can't try hard enough to be good enough in God's eyes. We just can't. Another way that the message of Christianity differs from all other religions is that All these other religions tell you, here's what you do to find favor with God. Here's what you do to work your way towards God. And the message of Christianity is, here's what God has done for you. Here's what God has done to come to you. That makes Christianity entirely different. Here's what God has come. Here's what He's done for you. And He has a kingdom that's coming. And His message is to repent and believe. And this message to repent and believe is not a punitive, like, Kind of like you know when your mom said when you were a kid, like just wait till your dad gets home. That that's not Jesus' message of repent and believe. Jesus' message of repent and believe is a declaration, not of fear, but rather it's a summons to submit to his rule and to his authority, as he's a benevolent, gracious, loving king. And what we're gonna see today is that, that he brings comfort and he brings sustenance to those of us who need it. We all need it. The difference for the Christian is that we know we need it, right? We we all need comfort and we all need sustenance. And he will bring those things to those who submit to his message of repent and believe. So many other religious beliefs out there, it's a punitive message saying you better get your act together, like just wait till dad gets home, kind of a message. And what we're going to see today is that this is not Jesus' message. Jesus tells us in John 5.39 that you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me. So we have our Scriptures. We're thankful for our Scriptures, and our Scriptures reveal to us who Jesus is. What Jesus said. What Jesus did. And life is not found ultimately in the Scriptures themselves, but who the Scriptures are about in Jesus Christ. And and so many religious systems out there, they they have their their Scriptures, they have their book, right? they have their guide, and it's all about just following the rules. And, And yes, our Scriptures do tell us how to live. like There is a law that's in the Scriptures. But at the end of the day, our Scriptures point us to Christ who has done for us things that we could and would never do for ourselves. Our Scriptures point us to Christ who lived the perfect life that we are incapable of living. Our scriptures point us to the Christ who, who came, who condescended and came to his creation, who has ultimately rebelled against him and in an act of love gave his life uh, for his enemies. And so as we get into this parable, he tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard, like a mustard seed. So so yes, there is a kingdom. And he's telling us a little bit about what this kingdom is like. The mustard seed, if you don't know, and I'm, I'm no horticulturist, but the mustard seed uh, is a very small seed. In the Middle East, in, in these days, it was the smallest of seeds. But it grows into something that can be quite large. Do yourself a favor and just go Google pictures of, of mustard trees, what, what they turn into. They don't grow instantly like anything you don't plant something today and have something that you can show for it tomorrow right you plant something and it takes time and it takes care and you have to tend to it Uh, and over time it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and i think jesus is revealing a few things here but one of the things that he's revealing to us is how his kingdom has come think about this How, how is it that jesus kingdom has come how is it that the king arrived here on earth? The king arrived as a baby. We've talked about this before, but think about ancient Israelites. All throughout the Old Testament, they were an oppressed people. They were always under somebody's thumb. And the hope of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament was that one day the Messiah is going to come and, and is going to release them from their oppression. And, and you can imagine, if you were an ancient Israelite, what kind of picture you might have of the Messiah coming to release you from your oppression. And you might envision somebody showing up on a, on a big horse with armor and a shield and a sword, ready to take names. But that's not how Jesus showed up. God stepped into human flesh. He tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us, John 1 tells us. And he came as a baby. He came in the most feeble and meek way imaginable. And you might imagine for the Israelite who maybe was expecting something entirely different to hear the news that the Messiah has come and then to find out that the Messiah is a baby who needed to be fed and clothed and changed and cared for. You can imagine maybe some disappointment in that. I thought it was going to be different than this. But this is the way that God chose to do it. And so Jesus came as a baby. He grew up just like you and I grew up. He had to be cared for just like you and I had to be cared for. He he had a mom just like you had a mom that that took care of him and a mom that he probably celebrated. And then he got old enough to to learn his dad's trade, right? Worked with his dad just like maybe some of us learned to trade or learned to do a, a job or have a career. And then Jesus embarked on a ministry. And Jesus didn't make a lot of waves when he was working for his dad. Nobody wanted to kill him. But, but when he began to preach the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, the religious people of his day had an axe to grind with that message. And they plotted. They began to plot to kill him. Right? He began to make waves as he preached, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And interestingly enough, it wasn't, it wasn't the, the, the criminals or the scoff laws of his day that plotted to kill him. It was the religious people that plotted to kill Jesus. That's another discussion for another time, but just an interesting thing to point out. It was, it was the, the quote-unquote good people that plotted to kill Jesus, not the quote-unquote bad people that plotted to kill him. It was the message that the kingdom is at hand, and by virtue of a kingdom that would mean that there is a king right you can't have a kingdom without a king so by virtue of saying the kingdom is at hand that would imply that there is a king and the message of repent would imply that the king isn't happy with how things are going right that something's broken that needs to change and needs to be fixed and this was the message by virtue of there being a king it also implies submission right A king is a ruler a king has authority a king has subjects and we know from history our, our bible but we also know just from general history there's good kings and there's bad kings good rulers bad rulers some, some kings were benevolent and some kings were praised uh, by their subjects a lot of kings were not praised by their subject a lot of kings had revolts a lot of kings had coups they were overthrown but Jesus' message that the kingdom of heaven is like anything again infers that there's a king, a king has authority, and he's calling people to come under that authority and under his rule. but his kingdom, his kingdom, was not instituted like pretty much every other kingdom that's ever been instituted in the world i read a statistic the other day that there's only a small percentage and i can't remember what it is but a small percentage maybe like 30 countries in the world that have never been invaded by britain don't quote me on that exact number but it was a small like just about every country in the world has been invaded by britain at some point right that's just the way that kingdoms work like they they say we're going to go plant our flag over there and we're going to take it over And those people are going to come under our authority and our rule. Jesus' kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts off really small. Maybe even unnoticeable. But one day, there's this big mustard tree that provides a canopy. And we're told that in that mustard tree, that when it's grown larger than all of the garden plants that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches, and we'll come back to that more here in a moment. But, but picture a tree, like I saw lots of pictures when I Googled this, of just a, a tree, a field just with a big canopy over it that provides shade and provides a place of protection, provides a place of comfort. This is another way that Christianity is different than everything else out there. The world tells you that that you need to take what's yours. And if, if you're a leader, you need to take things by force. Jesus' kingdom is not like that. Jesus' kingdom is already at hand, yet not fully. Again, the day that will come when every knee bows and confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord... That's the day that Jesus' kingdom will be fully recognized by everyone. There will be no question who is the king of all things. His kingdom is already here, but not yet. Not fully, anyway. And so as we think about the way that jesus came it's entirely different than what was expected entirely different than than any other king in all of history who has planted his flag in the ground anywhere jesus came to earth as a baby to plant his flag in the ground to say this this is mine this belongs to me he told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now usually leaven in the Bible is used negatively. This is kind of a rare instance when leaven is not used in a negative sense in the Bible. So leaven, it's a substance, think of yeast, something that makes dough rise. And again, like dough doesn't rise, you don't just put some yeast in your dough and, and poof, it rises, right? You're going to let it set for a while and it takes time and it it gets a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger, a little bigger, right? So so we see again something that kind of starts out small and gets big. What's interesting about the analogy of the leaven, three measures of flour would be about 50 pounds. So it's a lot of flour, 50 pounds of flour. The idea of This is that this is going to create enough dough to make a lot of bread to feed a lot of people, right? More on that here in a moment as well. But in this parable, as it relates to leaven, we might consider the presence of Christ in the world on a mission to draw people into his kingdom, right? The first one, the mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, you plant it, it grows over time. The second parable, kingdom of heaven is like leaven, again, a small thing that gets bigger. But again, Christ's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that message becomes more and more prominent as time goes on. The Religious leaders of Jesus' day, they, they didn't think they had anything to repent of. Right? They, they considered themselves the, the good guys. They considered themselves the purveyors of the law, the keepers. Of the law there was nothing wrong with them and so they were offended at the message to repent and believe but i don't think we have to look too hard in our world today to see that like there's there are things that are majorly wrong with our world there are things that are broken in our world uh, beyond repair things that we can't fix We're, we're on a trajectory of things that are happening that I just don't see how we're going to recover from apart from God's intervention. Apart from the intervention of the king that owns it all. We're, we're just not going to recover from some things. And the kingdom of heaven is, is an unlikely kingdom in that Jesus didn't show up on a horse wearing armor with a sword and a shield. That, that time's coming. He, he will show up like that. That's coming, but, but it, that hasn't happened yet. And so as we think about these two parables of kind of small things that that get big, unlikely things that that get big, the tree, as I said before, provides comfort, provides shade, provides a resting place. The leaven that that gets put into the measures of flour that that provides bread that, that is sustenance for people. And so if I want us to take away something from our passage today is the idea that the benevolent gracious loving king in his message to repent for the kingdom is near he's offering us a couple of things he's offering us comfort and he's offering us sustenance and who doesn't need or want comfort and sustenance Right, as I said before, not not, you know, many many kings throughout history have not been gracious and benevolent kings, and they've been hard to live under. But Jesus is not just like his kingdom is not like any other kingdoms, he's a king that's not like any other kings. Hebrews chapter three, verses one to four, as we think about comfort, tells us this. Therefore holy brothers. You who share in the heavenly calling, or you Christian, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God. This is one of the things that's broken about our world today is that more and more people don't believe that the builder of all things is God. If it's true that the builder of all things is God, then when those things break, where should we go to find the fix? We should go to the builder, right? If there's something wrong with your house, you call your contractor and say, please come and fix this. If it's true that God is the builder of all things, and I'm saying if not because I'm questioning it, but just logically, if it's true that God is the builder of all things, wouldn't it make sense that He holds the solutions to all the things that are broken about our world? And for the Christian, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that He's the high priest of our confession. Our confession of faith is not about the great faith that we have our confession of faith is about the object of our faith our confession is about him in whom our faith lies not about not about what i possess but about who possesses me right sometimes we get that backwards as christians it's jesus who's the high priest of our confession and he's been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses was kind of the big guy of the Old Testament. Moses, Abraham, right? A couple, but Jesus is counted as more glorious than them. And he has honor because of that. And, and as the builder of our house, as the builder of our world, right? The Bible tells us that God created all things. John 1 1 tells us that there's not anything that was created that wasn't created by Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him, and there wasn't anything that was made that wasn't made through Him. Colossians tells us that He's the sustainer of all things, that He holds the universe together, and that everything was made by Him and for Him. And from those Scriptures, that's where we take it that that He's sovereign over all, meaning that He controls everything. He sees everything, he hears everything, he knows everything, everywhere, all of the time. That's why he's more glorious and that's why the writer of Hebrews can say that he's the builder of all things because our Bible tells us that. That should give us great comfort for those of us that have a confession of faith in the builder of all things it should give us great comfort. It's the reason that I lay my head on the pillow and sleep at night instead of laying awake, tossing and turning and worried about all of the things that have gone wrong in our world. There's a lot to worry about. <laughs> I, I've, I've had the privilege of coming to faith at a young age, uh, a very young age, and, and I just don't know what it's like to not live with faith in Christ. God has been gracious to me in that. I don't understand how people make it through this life without just pulling their hair out. I don't get it. Some of you understand that. I I don't. I don't. I take great comfort in the fact that Christ is who He says He is. That He is indeed the builder of all things, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the one who orders all things. that's, That's the mustard tree that has the giant canopy, and I'm just like a bird perched on a branch inside of that tree thinking nothing's going to harm me. Thinking that I've got everything I need right here inside of this canopy. I'm protected. And I'm comforted. And I can rest. That's, That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. If our faith were perfect, and it's not because none of us are perfect, but if our faith were perfect, we would never worry about anything. We just wouldn't. We're not perfect, so we do worry about things. And, and we, we, we get it wrong sometimes. But God is such a comfort, and Jesus is telling us this is what His kingdom is like. That the subjects of Jesus' kingdom don't have to worry about the king going off the rails. The subjects of Jesus' kingdom don't have to worry about the king one day just deciding on a whim that he's going to punish a segment of the population. The subjects of Jesus' kingdom can live in comfort inside the canopy of this little thing that's turned into a really big thing. And they can take comfort and they can take rest. Not only that, the subjects of Jesus' kingdom don't have to worry about their sustenance or what's going to be provided for them. Right? We, we all either work or have worked in order to provide for ourselves, right? We, we talk about our work as like it puts food on the table. And that's true, it does. It's part of God's design for humanity that, that, we, that we work, right? We work so that we can eat. But we worry about that a lot, don't we? We stress about it, don't we? Right? So some of you have worked your careers and now you're in your retirement and maybe, maybe your stress is like, is what I built up going to be enough to last? Right? Some of us that are still working, the, the stress is like, am I going to have enough when that time comes? Am I going to have enough now? And kind of the nature of keeping food on the table is like, how much food is enough to have on the table? Well, just a little bit more, right? It never seems to be quite enough. And we exert so much effort and so much energy and so much of our time, understandably so, but Jesus is telling us in this parable of the leaven that, that there's, there's going to come a time when we're going to have all that we need for our sustenance. We're going to have all the bread that we need when His kingdom is fully realized. Can, can you imagine a heaven where you don't have to get up in the morning and go to work? Or you don't have your honeydew do list of things around the house that need to be done because it's all taken care of. In John chapter 6 starting in verse 26. Let me give you a little bit of context for this. Jesus had just finished feeding a crowd of people with just a little bit of food. He had a boy's lunch, and one of Jesus' miracles is that he fed a crowd with all of this food. And the crowd, right on the heels of this happening, the crowd asked Jesus, are you going to give us a sign? <laughs> After he just performed this miracle, right? They, they just they missed it, like the crowd often does. And in John 26, uh, 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so this crowd, they, they, they weren't submitting to God's rule and his authority. They, they were seeking after Jesus for what he could do for them, not because of who he was and what he had done for them. You're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. And then they said to Him, meaning the crowd, What must we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. And so they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do we perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, but whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of leaven hidden in a bunch of flour that's going to grow and grow and grow and grow and provide bread, provide sustenance for all of those who are submitted to the rule and the authority of the king who rules the kingdom. Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to him shall not hunger. Can you imagine a day when you don't hunger? There's not a day that goes by in my life that I'm not hungry. Every day, I get the urge to eat. And every day, I eat. Can you imagine a day when, when that urge just isn't there? And you don't have to worry about it? I had to take a trip to the grocery store yesterday because we were out of snacks and it was an inconvenience to me. I, just, I was in a snacky mood and there was nothing. I was like, I'm going to go to the store and got some cheese and crackers. Like, there's going to come a day when I don't need to have a snack. There's going to come a day when I don't need to eat a big dinner. Because we're going to be in eternity for those who submit to the rule and the reign and the authority of the king. We're going to be face to face with the king who will sustain us for all eternity with all that we need. There's going to come a day when we will never thirst. I drink copious amounts of coffee and water every day. Always got, always got something that I'm, that I'm drinking. Always. And there's going to come a day when God and His benevolence is going to take care of that. And I'm not going to have that need in my life. These are the things that the kingdom of heaven is like. like, That we're going to have comfort like we've never experienced before. Under the canopy of the kingdom. We're going to have sustenance like we've never experienced before. That we don't have to worry about where tomorrow's sustenance is going to come from. I don't know if the prepper movement is still much of a thing, but I remember... A few years back, several years back, that that I knew a lot of people just in my circles that that were getting into prepping. Like just, you know, building up their supplies for, you know, kind of when everything comes to an end. Not saying that that's a bad thing to do. It just seemed like there was a period of time where there was just a lot of people that were into this idea of prepping because they were worried about not only tomorrow, but they were worried about next week and next month and next year. In God's kingdom, we don't have to worry. About those kinds of things. We don't have to prep for anything. Right? Our our prep for God's kingdom is to repent and to believe. Our prep for God's kingdom is to come under his reign and his rule and his authority, knowing that he's gracious and loving and benevolent and kind. Our Bible tells us what is it that leads us to repentance? Is it God's wrath that leads us to repentance? Does the Bible say that God's judgment leads us to repentance? No, the Bible tells us that God's kindness leads us to repentance. God's benevolence and His graciousness. And so, if we could take away anything from these two kind of seemingly obscure comparisons to God's kingdom, is that God's kingdom is is very unlikely in the way that it has come, unlikely in the way that it's growing. And when it's fully realized, we're going to have comfort and sustenance beyond anything that we can imagine or think or hope for. What a comfort that is to those who believe. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for today. Thankful uh, for Your Word. Thankful that um, You are the King over all things and thankful that You're benevolent and that You're gracious and that You're loving and that You're kind. Thankful that You give us opportunity uh, to repent and believe. Thankful that You give us faith. Thankful that You uh, give us what we need to repent. And so I would pray first and foremost for those of us that are here today that have repented and have believed that You would give us encouragement about how You comfort and sustain us. And for those who may be here that that haven't bent the knee to Christ the King, God, that they would do so. That they would see that Your reign and that Your rule... um, That You are the King of Kings, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, as the Bible tells us that You are. That they would come under Your authority, that they would repent and believe because the kingdom is near. And then, Father, I would pray that as we exit these doors today, that we would uh, be carriers of the message to repent for the kingdom kingdom, uh, is near that you would help us to be benevolent and gracious and kind uh, in our delivery of that message uh, out into our community. And as we do deliver that message, God, we pray that people uh, would respond affirmatively, that they would come to faith in the King of Kings and the one who orders it all to the builder of the house. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.